Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast Show, where we aim to give you the knowledge and confidence to move from residential property investment strategies into the murky world of commercial property investment. And I'm your Mm -hmm. host, Jerry Alexander. So today, we have a super guest lined up for you. Kevin Whelan of Wealth Builders has joined us to share some of his experiences of working with angel finance, including SaaS trustees. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Hey, Jerry, good to be with you. I'm glad uh, everything's going well with you. Appreciate that. Thanks, Kevin. Most of our listeners have um, residential property investments, Kevin, and they've got some experience. And similar to myself, they've begun to look at alternative strategies to scale up. And in the end, for us, that ended up actually being commercial property. I didn't know that's where it was going to be, but that's where we ended up. And over the years, our portfolio of commercial has grown and we've had to raise additional finance. And that's meant reaching out into that challenging world of private investors and people. So how do we do that? And it's been quite challenging. I know some listeners will find that it's something they've done already quite comfortably in residential, but I know there'll be quite a few that have just thought, this is a whole new thing I'm not sure if I should venture into yet. Mm -hmm. So when we originally started talking about doing a podcast together, the piece that we both gravitated towards was your expertise on helping people understand the language of these private investors so that some of our listeners can actually manage to raise some of that finance to take some of these great projects they're looking at and actually make them happen. But before we get into that, can you just give some of our listeners a bit more context about what you do and your involvement with um, commercial property and private finance? Sure. So, you know, thank you for the introduction. So I'm Kevin Whelan, founder of a company called Wealth Builders. Wealth Builders Canada does what it says on the tin. It teaches people the, the science and the art of constructing a plan to be completely financially independent. And everybody who does property, whether it's residential or commercial, are doing so not because they want to be property developers. They want to do it really because it's part of their wealth building journey. And over the years that I've been kind of working with property as the most popular asset of choice inside my community, um, I found that there's a very there's a very key transition point when people traditionally kind of know they need to raise money. They've, they've tapped into their home equity. They tapped into their investments. You know, they did what they did to get their deposits. And they went to conventional funding through banks and institutions and bridges and all the usual things. And what they tend to do is they learn how to be underwritten. They learn how to apply for money. And, you know, that's not that difficult. you got a good broker. You know, you can tell a reasonable story and you get the funding. But as soon as you move on to more complex issues, as soon as your ambition becomes larger than your supply of the initial capital you need, a whole new set of skills is required. And my experience working with developers and Jerry, I'm going to use the word developer in a loose kind of sense. Somebody who's got a project they're looking to raise money for. Anybody who's developing in commercial, you know, has the ring of slight more complexity, doesn't it? Which is why there are less people doing it. Then the challenge is how do you turn from being underwritten to being the underwriter? And what I mean by that is now you've got to turn the problem inside out. Instead of asking third parties and professionals for money, you've got to ask strangers for money and that takes a whole different skill set and a whole different mindset and a whole different language which i'm sure you'll pick up on as we you know enter this kind of murky world of raising private finance yeah so i did spend um quite a few years working with a high street bank and what you're describing there is is the tick 
tick boxing. Yeah, it's getting boxes and getting them ticked. And of course, the secret to that is actually finding out where the boxes are <laughs> and what they actually mean. But then ultimately, yeah, if you really want to scale, you need to start looking out at other things. And once one is able to actually start accessing or thinking about private finance now, it's not about finding a project and then financing it and then the next project and financing it. Now it's almost as though you've got an abundance when you can realize that actually when you've got a network there and you can start raising private finance, that suddenly the world opens up a lot more and there's more opportunity to take on projects. Because when you work on the traditional bank, the thing is they will put around you a framework that makes you think in a certain way and makes yeah. you think, ah, I can't do this project because the bank told me that that particular project doesn't tick a box. So therefore you start discounting them. But once you actually realize, hold on a minute, that is feasible. I'm just talking to the wrong people about raising money for this. It yeah. opens up new opportunities, doesn't it? It does indeed. And um, and I think the you make a good point there that traditionally, you know, when people can do things relatively straightforwardly, they get into a habit of doing things in a certain way. And the skill is different to the skill of raising private funding. So my experience in private funding, Jerry, is I've been working with private investors for 12 years now, really, since the uh, 2008 credit crunch when I kind of realized um, I'm an economist by training that's my background and um, qualified IFA to boot but not that that has any relevance to the funding side except that I noticed as both of those qualifications came to bear in 2008 that the banking industry just you know just really restricted what it was doing and therefore there was a demand for those who wanted to carry on their property journey to to think about well, where else could they get money? And here's the critical lesson that I would want to share as the foundational lesson and the mindset lesson. Sort of uh, private funding 101 is ultimately all funding emanates from people. So whether you get the money from a bank, where did that come from? It's the savings of people. Where did money from a bridging company come from? In the end, it's people. So the real skill in fundraising is not the fundraising, it's the understanding of people. And when you're fortunate enough to be, and I think it's a real opportunity to develop this skill, when you're working and you have the opportunity to solve problems that real people face themselves, and you bypass the intermediation, you bypass the bank, you bypass the bridge, you bypass those things, and you work with private investors, you get a chance for the first time to think about solving somebody else's problem, not just your problem. Yes, we know you want to raise money for projects. You know, developers always want two things, more deals, more money. That's the language they speak, you know, deals and money, right, or deals and funding. And I get that. But when you really get private funding, it's understanding what private investors need and what they need takes very careful thought. And I'm more than happy to dive into that. They're all going to have different viewpoints, aren't they? They're all going to have different things that they want to affect with you and what they're putting their money into. And I remember from coming out from a development point of view, looking at private finance. And in fact, the last project we just did, Kevin, we, we, we didn't use any bank finance at all, which is the first one we've done that on. And it, it, it was a great process to go through. And it has allowed us to take on a development that the bank would have slowed up, would have made more challenging. So that, so that was really great experience. But what I think sometimes people do, because I know I did this myself, is you, you go into this process thinking, right, okay, I'm going to start talking to private funders. Um, right, what do they want? What do I want? Um, how does that look? And you've got this blank sheet of paper. And yeah. when you're doing it with the bank, you've kind of got these parameters. They're there. That's a really great point, you know, and it's almost like writer's block, and I can see it there. So when you deal with the bank, you've got no shortage of paper. You've got so much paper, it's untrue. When you're dealing with private funding, there's a skill here. And let me, let me share with you what the skill is, okay? The first thing to share is understand what really is going on in the minds of private investors in general. Yes, you can deal with each person individually, but that's, that's a challenge and I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't try and meet with private investors and solve each of their individual problems because you'll end up reversing yourself into cul-de-sacs and trying to solve problems for one person at a time, and it's not really scalable. The way to scale it is to create a proposition, and you create a proposition by telling a story. And the story, like all good stories, 
starts with who's the hero in the story. And usually the hero in the story of my developers is they want the hero to be themselves. You know, they want the outcome. They want, you know, and the language they speak, the language of the deal and the, the speed that they speak is always about, you know, I've got this opportunity. It's the best opportunity I've seen in years. And I really think this opportunity would be brilliant for me. And I think it'd be brilliant for you. And I'd love for you to see it. But you know what? I'm under pressure. I need the money next Tuesday. Yeah. It's just so much at you, at you, at you language. And, and you can't do that. Private investing is relationship building with people. And it's about empathy. And when you empathize with people, which means walking a mile in their shoes, and there are some very simple lessons to understand. So when you think about the story, you know, there's always a hero, which in our case now, we want the hero to be the investor. And like all good stories, there's also a villain. So who's the villain in our story, I ask you? Now, the <laughs> villain is where the client's money is at, right? So if you think about where most people have their money here in the UK, it's in places they don't like. So they're villainous to them. They don't like it. They don't like having money in cash in the bank, earning them next to nothing. They don't like their money on the stock market, you know, volatile, going up and down, round and round like a roller coaster. And roller coasters are great when you're eight but they're not great when you're 38. They're not great. And they're worse when you're 48. They're not a good place to be. They make you sick after a while. Nobody likes roller coasters when they get older. What they're looking for is more certainty. And here's the things they're looking for. They want five ROIs. Now, everybody in, in property, everybody in wealth building as I am, you know, we speak the language of the the development deal you were talking earlier on about being in Clubhouse, weren't you? And the language, especially when it comes to commercial, gets very technical very quickly. And so we have to resist all this technicality and really just think about what the, what the ROIs the client wants. And the investors don't want technicalities. They want simplicity. And the first reason, and just think about this rhetorically uh, and have your audience think about it as we're talking. If, if we know that the villain of the story is, you know, less than 1% in the bank. And we know the stock market will long-term will provide about a 6% gross return. And by the time people have paid charges, which are typically in the UK, around 2%. So net 4% long-term, long-term, which is what people draw in retirement here in the UK. They're not great returns. So if you imagine, you know, here's you, Jerry, with a, great property opportunity, you know what ROIs you're going to get. Uh, what would be reasonable in your community, in your masterminds, so I know you serve so well, uh, what kind of returns do you think they'd be happy with to get on their money, doing their own projects in their own way, putting the funding aside for the moment? What kind of return would they be getting? Well, we teach people to go for properties that are going to have 15 20% plus. Okay. So let's replay this. I'm a dissatisfied hero getting less than 1% or I'm getting 4% with volatility and a level of disconnection because I don't really like or understand the stock market. And here's you, you know, with a, a real ambition to serve and to be the hero in my story or to help me be a good guide to me. And you're getting 15 or 20. There's got to be room for a opportunity to be shared there. There's got to be room for shared value. You think, crumbs, if this guy's getting 20 and I'm getting one to four, there should be, Jerry, can you help me? But it doesn't happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because the first and most fundamental ROI people want is the return of their investment. They want to feel into a place of trust. And that trust is so difficult to get unless you spend time showing them exactly what it is you do, how you do it, why you do it, how long you've been doing it, and then how it serves them. Because the banks, even though we don't like them, we don't love them one little bit. And the institutions of the financial services, we don't like them, and we don't love them one little bit. But they've spent millions and millions and millions and millions establishing marketing uh, which unfortunately the private investor doesn't have. So what the private investor doesn't have in millions to get the funds 
they've got the, the flexibility and the agility to craft a story. And this is the essence of this whole process, is to craft stories where the hero sees themselves inside your story and you're solving their problem. And if you can solve the first problem, which is how do you keep yourself safe? And then make that very, very clear that that's how you keep me safe. I'm already starting to buy into the story because my primary feeling as a private investor is the opposite to the feeling of the developer. The developer fears the loss of the deal. The investor fears the loss of their money. The two don't go together unless you can say your deal is as safe as it could possibly be because of your style, your approach, your discipline, your due diligence, your contingency, your team, your track record, your, you know, all those things that go into showing me that if I invest with you to the best of my ability, recognizing nothing is safe, that I'm going to be as reasonably safe as I could be. So I get the return of my investment. That's ROI number one. There are four more to go, by the way, if we've got time to cover them. I, what, you're, what you're reminding me of is, and I'm thinking through the investors we've worked with, is that it, the key thing is having time to actually build those relationships, isn't it? And the people that we've um, worked with have all been people we've known for a period of time, a reasonable period of time. And if you're trying to raise funds for a project you've discovered and you haven't spent the back time or at least along, you know, doing it in parallel, then trying to go and get money out of somebody in two weeks is just not going to happen. Or if it does, it's just setting up for a really bad situation, isn't it? You've got to build it in parallel with your learning and your process of trying to actually find deals. You've got to start early. Absolutely. And, and, you know, no better time now. Now, we know we've got challenging and unprecedented times, but we do have more time. Um, And now's the time to professionalise fundraising and put it on the same parallel, you know, in the same way is you can't suddenly find property opportunities that work by looking tomorrow. I've got some money and, or I've got some time. I want to find an opportunity tomorrow. You won't find an opportunity tomorrow. You've invested time with agents or sources or wherever you are developing your relationships to do that. You're building those relationships. So, so it is with private investors. And usually the first private investors people get tend to be the friends and the family because, you know, they're, there's already a kind of a no like trust and even sometimes a bit of sympathy that goes on, you know, to help people out. But private investors are not sympathetic at all. Uh, They just won't tell you what their primary drivers are. I'm telling you what they are because this is true. This is not based on hearsay or some fancy language. This is absolute fact based on years and years and years and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of John Venture deals that that, that I've distilled down into five golden nuggets that if you can embrace these and weave them into, you know, a few pages on a document, you can craft a story so elegantly, you'd have a queue of people waiting, but it takes time to do it. Let's dive a bit more into that, Kevin. So what, what are the other, some of the other ROIs that investors are looking for? You're right. Here's, here's another one, okay? So uh, return on intellect. Now, what do I mean by return on intellect? Well, what I mean by that is if you go to the bank or the bridger, or any financial institution, you say, hey, I'm going to share and show with you what I do. I'm going to let you look over your my shoulder. I'm going to give you a walkthrough of exactly what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. Do the banks care? No, because they don't value the knowledge. But investors value the knowledge so much more than you. And what I find is developers have overlooked the mountain of knowledge they've, they've accumulated over their lifetime because they know it, they take it for granted. But as soon as you make it a part of the deal now, part of the offering, you can weave that in to say, and you will get this knowledge either formally or informally, so that as part of the relationship, you're getting such a deeper level of how this works and why this works, which reinforces point number one, which is the return of my investment. So the more that you can articulate that and as importantly jerry deliver that as opposed to saying i'll do it and then don't do it it's lip service you need to build that into a process 
So this is process driven, but based on some core things that, you know, I believe have stood the test of time. And when developers that I've worked with follow this logic, it works for them. Okay, so that's number two. Number three is a return on interaction. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I already spent a few moments telling you how disconnected people are with their money. You know, they don't have a strong sense of connection at all. What they want to feel connected to is a purpose. So if you've got a business that has an outcome, you know, you're serving something that I can understand, I can identify and feel almost like proud. You know, there's a feeling of pride when you interact. Say, I'm proud to be part of Jerry's business. I'm proud to be part of Wealth Builders. I'm proud to be, you know, when you get that feeling of somebody wants to be, and so much so they tell somebody else, which is another benefit of that, by the way. They can't shut up once they get all this right. They can't stop telling other people who who are lamenting the performance of their stock market funds or their cash, and they tell what what they're doing and where their money's invested. Look at that property. My money's in that. You know, then you get a sense of pride. So that's that's a connection to your brand or a connection to you, and ideally a brand, because a brand has longevity in a person has less so. So the, the next ROI is return on impact. Now, the impact then is not the interaction with the brand, but the wider good that this business does in the world. Now, I'm not being kind of, you know, somehow woo-woo and tree-huggy here. I'm talking about anything that serves the community to a level that I can also feel aligned. So I'm serving a certain type of tenant. I'm looking after homeless. I'm looking after special needs people. I'm providing outstanding quality accommodation for businesses who don't know what they're doing in the next six months, let, let alone the next six years. And they need somewhere to work because they'll go stir crazy if they were doing all this at home. You know, they need flexibility in their leases because having long-term, you know, FRI leases are just too expensive and too inflexible in a world. You're not, that you're not trying to hit our hot buttons here, are you, Kevin? Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> I think I understand your business. So, I think the point, though, that if your message is on message and they resonate with that, they will invest into that. It could be green. It could be uh, all your buildings are done. You know, if you're doing new build, all the buildings are done with green energy or, or they're all sustainable. Or it could be your business makes profit and from that profit you pay to a charity or to a good cause that people resonate with. And then your, your niche and your relationship just builds and builds and builds from there. See the point? So that's return on impact. Now, when you do all those four things elegantly, and by the way, I can show people, and I'm more than happy to share with your community, examples of how people have done this. So they don't have another blank sheet of paper. Here's some real developers who've done this work in real time with me, and I've got outstanding results. You know, I can share those with you. Um, but the point is, once you've done all that, crafted those four elements in your story, all you really need to do to square that circle um, and to make it a virtuous circle is to say, and the result of all of this is as I get this return from my property, your share of that return, in addition to ROI one, two, three, and four, is X percent. Yeah. And that X percent is normally lower than you would imagine because you're bringing so much more that they value with stuff that you don't really value because it's something that's innate and you do it every day. So it's bringing more of that. That's what I mean by you've got to think about your own story and check in with yourself. And that's why sometimes it's better to do with a third party because the third party can pull more out of you than you can get out of yourself because we all take so many things for granted in our lives, which is why, you know, this rarely happens. Does that make sense? That does. That's very helpful. Thank you. So you've got return. The number one return of how safe are you? You know, are you? Yeah, what's the risk of my money? I'm going to get my money back eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. return on um, intellect. Yeah. So yeah. knowledge transfer, knowledge transfer. Yeah, yeah. sharing sharing what you do. Return yeah. on interaction. Mm-hmm. Sense of purpose, sense of pride. I've helped do that. Return on impact. So what's happening in the community? What what is it that's actually adding value to others? Yeah, feeling because as you say, people feel disconnected from money, especially when it's all electronic these days. 
Well, indeed. Actually feeling that this is making an impact and doing something different. And then a final one there you've actually got is what is the percentage, which of course yeah. is what people often think is the number one and only thing that people are interested well, exactly. in. Exactly. But if you think about the currencies of exchange here, so, you know, nobody thinks about this, but I think about it very deeply. And you, normally the currency of exchange, you think of the word currency, it conjures up money. But look at the currencies we've 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 been engaging here the really deep currency of relationship we've created a currency of trust in roi number one we've created a currency of connection uh, knowledge rather in roi number two we've created connection with the brand we've created a, a feeling of pride and impact um we got a sense of of a true relationship that's not just going to start now but it's going to continue and here's the thing if you do all those things and you build it in consistently, when you get to the end of the cycle of that loan against that project and you say to your private investor, so when would you like me to pay you back so you can put your money back on the stock market or back in cash again? What are they going to say if you delivered your part of the bargain? And it's inevitable. They repeat, they repeat, they repeat. Now, the problem I've seen is not that people don't get what I'm telling them, is they cheat it. We call this a virtual wheel. You know, if you imagine that was one, two, three, four, five, and it's virtuous, um, and it's a wheel, if you do the whole thing, it works. As soon as you cheat any aspect of it, and some developers will cheat it, they will try and get away with less, less education or less knowledge or um you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, I'm going to take you on a side visit or a tour, but then they don't. They'll say, I'll send you an update, but then they don't. You know, that's the danger, and that's when people get it wrong. But those who do it and commit to it will get a, a supply of funds that will never, ever run out. Yeah, so it's commercial property, if you're doing it for the long term, which most people do, flipping commercial doesn't give you the benefit of all the tax savings you can by holding property, then it's a long game, isn't it? And as yeah. you say there, trying to get all this done in five minutes is not going to happen. But building over time and having the confidence that, okay, maybe I haven't bought a deal yet, whereas in Resi, sometimes you can buy a deal, you know, you see it today, you've got the offering on Monday, by the following month or whatever, you've got the yeah. keys. Yeah. Commercial is completely different. It's a longer process, but the returns can be significantly higher. Mm. And all this is leading to the fact that you need to be working on multiple areas and it's all relationships. It's all relationships. So a question I do get asked quite a lot, Kevin, is where do you actually find potential investors for this sort of thing? That's a great question. We spoke about family and friends, but once we start moving out of there, if somebody's saying, right, I'm going to commit to this, I'm going to start, I know this is going to take time and effort, I'm going to craft my story, I'm going to learn as I go, but where are they going to maybe start looking for investors? Building a list of private investors starts with crafting document number one. So when you've got document number one, document number one is there are three stages in in. Uh, relationship when it comes to money the before the money it's like relationships in life it's like the dating time right before the money and there's a compliant reason why you need to craft a document before the money then you've got the uh, the offer the kind of fundraise the raising of the money and the documents that go with that investment memorandums and the like and that's document number two and then document number three or story number three is how you build a relationship after the money. So back to the whole point about, well, when is the money going to go back? So at the beginning, I have people craft document number one. And document number one then, once you imagine you're telling the story, okay? So you're building the story. You've, you've subliminally got the hero as the investor. You understand the problems. You understand what you do, why you do it, what your track record is, who your team are. And you're building nice pictures, nice visual. So you're reaching all different wealth dynamics of people, the big thinkers, the detailed thinkers. You've got all of the this covered off. And you've got pictures of satisfied investors or satisfied tenants or satisfied somebody, somebody with a smiling face somewhere in the story. So they see themselves in the story. And then once they're in that story, or once you've crafted that and you know that's the the first book almost, you know, like a 10-page document, 
you're gonna gonna give to people that says, hey, this is who we are at ABC company. You just give it to as many people as you can for feedback. That's your start. Mm-hmm. You say, I've crafted this message, which tells the story of my business, but I need to get a sense if I'm on the right track, whether you understand it, because I'm very close to it. And sometimes you can get too close to something. Would you mind? I trust you 100%. And I want you to give me 100% honest feedback. Jerry, would you do that for me? It'll take you two minutes to read. You're going to say yes. Yeah, of course. Of course. You get the document. They read the document. And there's every chance that those people will either go, wow, I didn't know you did that. Or I didn't know this is what you did. Or I didn't know this is how you did it. And they start to get those feelings that they either internalize and decide to ask you some questions, which leads to a follow-up conversation. Not manipulative in any way. It's just about you already trust people, so get them to give you good feedback anyway. Interestingly, Kevin, that person is not somebody you just met on LinkedIn last week. No. You've got to have built some kind of rapport, haven't you, before you really get to that. And there are always people who are in your list that you'd value their opinion, whether they're, you know, when you're not trying to sully this relationship with money and you're not doing that. And you're just asking because you've, you've said, you know, we, we serve the, the needs of people who are dissatisfied with very low interest in cash or dissatisfied with the volatility in the stock market. You know, and we provide the security of an investment backed by, you know, property, the most popular asset in the UK. And we've got commercial property, which has got FRI leases and they're safe and they're, you know, long-term yields and blah, 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 blah. You craft all the stories and they give you the feedback and you say, do you know anybody that might be interested in receiving this? That's number one. Okay. So you just do a little bit of internal feedback. Number two, if you're really good at this, you know, and you decide that you can craft this story really well, I have an investment community of about 4,000. You don't need 4,000 people, you know, probably in truth, if you analyze it, you need a handful of people, certainly not more than 10 people. So you don't even need any toes to do this. You probably don't need more than 10. Now, I can help people if they can craft a story that I can buy into. And I've got a community. Now, my community is very different. Um, and you'd be solving my problem. Now, all of a sudden, I'm the hero. Woo-hoo. And I don't mind being somebody else's hero. So, you know, we've got lots of investors who are business owners in the main who've taken the the stance you used a bit of language a bit earlier on uh jerry which is the language of SaaS. do you remember using that language yeah which is not language probably most people will hear of but as i said to you earlier a lot of people have got money in the stock market and the vast majority of people who've got money in the stock market have it in their pension their pension isn't really serving them they don't enjoy the experience they don't like paying expensive fees and charges uh where you know they can't control them whether the market goes up or down and the other person's taking none of the risk. I mean, what a joint venture that is. You know, no risk being taken at all by the third party. They're just taking money. So they're getting wealthy while you're not. Anyway, enough of that. We help those people reconnect with their pension and turn their old pensions, often frozen, often forgotten, and we turn them into something that they can use to build their wealth in the future in our wealth-building community. And that future normally involves some kind of property relationship normally involves them building knowledge because I know it's what they want. So if I can find people who could take a few hours to understand the language of SaaS, to become, as I call them, SaaS savvy, they understand the language I'm using, they understand what a SaaS is, which is just somebody taking control of their own pension and and being like a company responsible for the direction of that, just as directors do, instead of relying on an insurance company, they do it themselves. And the most popular way that people do that is to lend money to outstanding third parties with whom they want to build a long-term relationship. So if there's anybody out there who can solve my problem, then you can also widen your reach to be connected to me. So that's another way to do it. Or, you know, there's so many different ways, but um that's the starting point i would say you know first of all get feedback and two find out who else is problem you can solve because entrepreneurs that's what they do um and hopefully that's been helpful yeah i appreciate that and and what you're really describing there is is there's there's two aspects one is reaching out to people that and people have to remember you don't always know who has money 
you can't just assume somebody doesn't and you can't just assume somebody has loads depending on what car they drive or whatever. So actually, you know a lot more people than you probably realise that actually have this challenge and need to invest money. Second bit you're talking about there, Kevin, is really gatekeepers, is finding gatekeepers to nice, people well, nice who are in know. that scenario. And that's exactly what you're describing there. And that, that, that's great. So any listeners who want to speak to Kevin, we will get some details later on and put them in, in the show notes. And there'll be other gatekeepers too, you know. So anybody who's got access to a community where the very essence of that community is they're trying to solve a problem that you can assist them in solving that problem. And that just takes a bit of thought. But, you know, again, you know, anybody who's got a community has got people and they, they've spent a long time building relationships with those people. If you can find a way that what you do is help that person nurture and build that relationship even stronger, you know, then that's great. And, and that's what I look for is people who will almost build my credibility and build my relationships and help me do that because I'm not the person who's taking their money. You know, I'm just helping them. So in the flip side of helping developers understand how to speak the language of investors, I get the investors to speak the language of developers and then look out for those people who are willing to take time and how to do due diligence and how to make sure they're doing the right thing for them, that all of their boxes, all of their boxes are ticked, you know, all of their ROIs are ticked and to make sure that that person who says they'll do whatever it is they do, you know, do you want me to check out that they will do? I've never had anyone try to take advantage of me because they know I represent so many, but yep. I've seen people try and take advantage of individuals. Of so course. I'm very strong on behalf of my investors. So, But there are the gatekeepers around. Just have a look around. And don't forget there's people around you. There's fellow like-minded developers, you know? So people in a mastermind group, for example, could get to know each other, like each other, trust each other. And they could have you know, a pension pot that they could lend to somebody else. You know, so people can solve each other's problems. There's so much creativity. There's no lack of resources in wealth building. It's just resourcefulness that's at stake. And most yeah. people get that resourcefulness, that creativity, naturally, because they're so used to ticking boxes, Jerry. It, it's, it's kind of almost been educated out of them. Yeah. Patience is a big thing, too. Knowing that this market will take time, building those relationships will take time. But if you invest in the time, then the long-term benefits can be really significant. And it, if you think about it, if you're trying to become professional at something, and let's face it, if you're doing commercial property developments and you're looking to borrow other people's money, you have to be professional about it. You have to be organized. You have to have the right strategies and the right technical and legal things in the background, which we'll cover in a little bit. But that process takes time. So don't go around thinking, right, I'm going to do a million pound commercial deals, my very first deal. I remember talking to people a few years ago that were really keen on getting into commercial, but all they fixated on was buying a million pound shed and doing all these wonderful things with it. And of course, five, 10 years later, they've still not bought the shed mm. because all they needed to do was go and buy a flipping shop on the corner somewhere or a small industrial unit or something just yeah. to get in the swim and get started. And whilst doing that, talking to private investors, proving the model works, developing the relationships and moving up incrementally to get to the million pound building. Now, don't get me wrong. There'll be some people out there who can jump straight into a million pound building because they've got great experience from other things, other stuff that they bring. Yeah. But it's having the patience and the resourcefulness and realizing this is a long-term game. You're not going to get it done overnight, but if you do it right and approach it professionally, you can make big things happen in time. So yeah. one of the things talked about professionally there, Kevin, if I may, mm -hmm. or I just spoke about was legal responsibilities. So if you are talking to private investors, there are certain things you need to think about. And you were talking there about the different stories and the different phases that you might talk people through. And the first mm -hmm. one there was just more about building credibility and what you do and sharing what you do. But if you're going to start talking to somebody about specifics, about projects and things, what are some of the responsibilities we have from a legal point of view that we need to think about when we're doing that? Sure. Well, just before I move on to the legal side, I will just say there is a legal responsibility at stage one to not to make an offer to people, you know, in the first document. It's about just giving people the overview, which kind of says, you know, we do lots of great things here at XXX. Um, 
and you know we thought about you and we do um, some very interesting things and we share and we share and we share but we won't know whether you'd be a good fit for us until we get a chance to talk and then we'll we'll dive into detail a bit more um that's the objective at stage one so as not to breach any fca compliance issues there so fca or the financial conduct authorities you well know but lots of people don't realize and i see so many posts on facebook you know, advertising, oh, yes. you know, guaranteed this and fixed rates that, you know, and, and you think, whoa, if they get caught out by the FCA, you know, they're going to be in trouble. So, so number one, number two is, you know, the importance of professionalizing, as you uh, have said, is to recognize the seriousness of somebody else's money. So you need to carefully structure the arrangement so that it can be understood and it can be executed in a transparent way and that a lawyer, somebody else's lawyer, can reasonably understand that and make sure that you're protected and they're protected in equal measure. And I've seen so many documents when clients bring DD to me and I look at the documents and the, the, the legal document that's been crafted by the developer is so in their favour and is so poorly constructed you know i would immediately say to the client anybody who's constructed a document like this is purely thinking of themselves they haven't thought about you so either go and have a chat with them about it or i will or walk away because they're not thinking about you they're just thinking about themselves so you just take some time and try and be honest transparent and fair on both sides and documents are what two people can agree so given that it's easier if you can know what you want to offer and construct that in a document that says, this is what we offer here at. And then you make sure that document stands the test of being analyzed by somebody else's lawyer. And you're willing to learn about what somebody else's lawyer brings into the discussion and then enshrine that into the next one and just get better and better and better at that. At the beginning, you'll be a bit um, just in the hands of the lawyers, but you know, you like everything, you just get better at it the more you do. So we have to make sure if we're uh, approaching investors that we get some bits and pieces in place before we really start talking about details of a, of a potential investment. Document number two is the, is the offer um, investment memorandum in broad terms. So you need to be thinking about that and talk to a lawyer early on and say, look, I'm thinking about working with private investors. I will make sure that I don't breach any compliance rules. The way I'm going to be doing, and I'll make a simple simple example, I'm going to be offering fixed term loans of X percent. You know, the the security is going to be Y. Uh, can you give me an outline agreement that we can start to create a template that I can then use, and then I'll get you to fill in the blanks when it comes to each individual deal. And that's really all the banks are doing. You know, so they're standard agreements. But each individual project is slightly different. The terms are slightly different. But the, the boilerplate is largely the same. And Kevin, that, that's interesting because we're talking there really about a loan. And one example, yeah. There are many ways to structure a joint venture, but a loan is the easiest. What, what, what would be interesting um, to me is just, I don't know whether you know this answer, but roughly how many of the deals that you've dealt with have been loan-based and how many of them have had more of a joint venture equity base? I'd say I wouldn't know the exact number, but, you know, I could get it, but I'd give you an intuitive mm -hmm. position. I would say 70% loan, 30% equity. Yeah. Uh, and it may be even 75, 25, because when investors start investing, they tend to be at the lower end of the risk scale. Um, so, and that's another point, you know, I always encourage developers to encourage their investors to start small. You know, why don't you start your very first investment with us as a loan? Because making it as a loan, you get a chance to see who we are. You've got this as a return. You've got this as a security. You've got this. You've got this. You've got this. And then we can talk about it again when this project comes to an end. Uh, yes, we're open to working with partnerships and joint ventures, but we won't entertain that until at least we've done a loan with you so we know how you conducted yourself in that. So in other words, you put the pressure on them to act well because the last thing developer wants is to, is to have a private equity partner. Then he wants the choice of the carpet fittings and the choice yeah. of this or that. You know, you've got to avoid that. So it's better to have experience. Relationships work both ways. Um, and I wouldn't have a developer think that they're a weak position just because they're the one that needs the money more than the investor needs the investment. But to see themselves as equals 
and to to craft the agreement that starts small and builds like any relationship you know you start a little and you get a bit more if it works and you get a little bit more if it works so but both ways are possible they're just different agreements but the fundamentals are the same two parties are agreeing the nature of a transaction and the exit of the transaction and the rewards that go with it and the obligations both sides yeah. it's not yeah. difficult this is life you know this happens in every aspect of life just to clarify if a developer is talking to somebody and they are only looking at doing it as a loan does the compliance with fca differ than if they're looking at doing a joint venture with some equity oh it certainly does um equity by the very nature of equity is a much larger risk and and therefore you know you have an obligation you can't offer anybody equity unless they're a high net worth sophisticated or professional investor uh it's not necessarily the case with loans but i would apply them in equal regard that you want people to fully sign off and understanding the risk the the fact that something's different from a compliance viewpoint doesn't mean the risk is any different um so it's always better to understand the nature and who are the people who are considering investing with you because the last thing you want them to do is have sleepless nights by you know lending money um if they don't understand the risk um so it's 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 more appropriate to focus on the long term relationship not the short term loan and then you'll you'll work it out this has been great so basically we've talked about the overall context we've got how to maybe find some of these people how to approach them how to maybe foster a long term relationship and some of the legal things we need to consider and some of the compliance stuff we need to think about and we mentioned earlier on about possibly going through some examples and i'd like to delve into a couple of examples now if we can kevin can you can you maybe give us a, a a reasonably recent example of this process going well where developers set it out right they've maybe started working with a new investor but the investor's got the return and they're moving on to the next project i'm really trying to get to the bottom here i'm trying to get an actual nitty gritty building what sort of project comes to mind of something that's worked well recently So I've I've got to be mindful of Oh you know, of course yes of names of people and so on but you know I'll give you three examples you know which which will will cover the spectrum an individual lending money for the refurbishment of an HMO you know they lend money for 9 months they get some kind of security which they both agree the first charge second charge or or whatever security is agreed is fine uh, the interest has been paid there's been a little bit of lend and learn so a little bit of knowledge share not a great deal of anything else because it was quite a simple proposition both parties are happy they get the money back at the end and in this case you know the individual investor this was the ninth loan they'd made to this developer now that's great that's something people can get it gives people context get the head round excellent okay another one would be uh one i did for example i loaned money to uh, someone i've loaned to before paid me back got a first legal charge on a property in uh, newcastle you know i think the loan was on a 300 grand or whatever it was and um agreed the charge got the lawyer to secure the charge we agreed the terms uh money came back 11 months later um fully paid up both sides happy you know so that was an easy one a bigger one where we were collaborating um is a project which is actually still live just about to finish which was a an old office converted into 50 apartments and those 50 apartments uh, essentially you know were part of a much bigger deal with around 2 and 1/2 million raise and about 40 investors in it um and we coordinated that with the developer uh all working swimmingly well everybody's happy the project slightly delayed but that's happening but the communication information is being shared uh regularly and before covid there were site visits um without covid there aren't but uh me and the developer go on site um you know and we shoot a video we haven't done one for a little while uh, since lockdown but we will do soon just to show people you know the show apartments um because they'll be ready for sale so things like that so anything from you know a couple of hundred thousand to a couple of million have been funded by private investors either on their own or in conjunction with a group of others and when you're doing it with a group of others what sort of typical vehicle would you use for that well they were all sasses 
Okay. Um, so they, they all came from SaaS investors. Um, the vehicle was was uh, just a simple loan agreement directly to the SPV. Um, for that project, yeah. Yeah, for that project with the security against that, with with all the necessary legals to ensure that the investors got paid back first um, before the developer. Brilliant. Okay. And let's just flip the coin over. Is there any that you've maybe now... I'm sure this is when they've come to you, but have you come across anywhere maybe it hasn't quite worked out so well? And what have been the big lessons there? Certainly, I'd say at stage one, um, I have a seven-step process for dealing with people who want to work with me, and stage one is resonance. Um, I need a gut call. I need a feel. Um, I was immediately out of resonance with one guy whose opening gambit to me was, Kevin, what's the lowest interest rate I can get away with to get private funding? And I went, did you really ask me that question? <laughs> they might all be thinking that, but yes. <laughs> did you really ask me that question? Um, anyway, so, you know, we didn't connect uh, out of resonance, wasn't prepared for the long term, was all about, yeah, but it's a good deal. You know, it's like, I'm not interested in deals, I'm interested in relationships. Do you want to build a relationship? And we were, we were out of resonance very quickly. The second was an interesting one. Uh, which comes into the story that uh, this is a, an interesting thought and a challenging one, actually, Jerry. Uh, so thanks for making me think of it. When, when there are several people involved in a business. So here's a lesson. I was working with a couple, lovely couple, fantastic couple, uh, and we did raise money for them, great projects. But um, the application of the problem, so where the problem manifest was two different people, husband and wife team, the husband was, you know, uh, more was stronger, was was kind of uh, more detail focused, and the and the wife was very kind of people focused and and you know very open to building that relationship. Anyway, the net outcome before I spotted it was, you know, in potential investor A spoke to the wife and got offered interest rate A, and potential investor B spoke to the husband and got offered a different interest rate. <laughs> A lower interest rate, interest rate B. And this was early days, probably about 2010. And um, I had to, whoa, 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 we have to stop there. Somebody has to own fundraising in this organization because you've got to be consistent. You've got to be clear on your offer and stick to your offer. You can't have, well, I managed to persuade him to 6% or I managed to get 5 You can't do that. You've got to have a consistency. Otherwise, you're just out of resonance with the investors because they find out as fast as anything. So you can't do that. So somebody needs to be responsible. And that puts people in a bit of a tiz when there's more than one person because who's responsible for fundraising? Who's the person who ultimately is going to take the responsibility for professionalizing this in your firm? Is it you? Is it a business partner? Have you got the right skill set? Have you got the right people skills? And that's where I look to wealth dynamics. So I encourage people to, to look at the wealth dynamic of the people inside the team because they're interested in the relationship. They're not interested in, right, we talked about that, right, when when going to have the money available, which you kind of get with some people, whereas, you know, the the people with blaze energies, we, we call it, they engage either with the one, with the many or the or groups. You know, and you, you get to know who's got those skills. If you haven't got them, then you have to either develop them or you, you know, you bring people in. And we've definitely seen some companies bring kind of a fundraising person in who's good at nurturing and building the relationships because the developers just want to get on with the job of development. You know, so I've got one firm that I deal with uh, who have employed the services of somebody who's handpicked who is not the developer, but just is the fundraiser in that company. And it works outstandingly well. Good. Yeah. That's their concentration. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And it's there been any scenarios where um, the developer maybe hasn't managed to deliver what they were promising, but I guess communication is one of the ways to try and work around that. I mean, what, what, what have you seen done well when things don't quite go to plan? I think the the key lesson in this third stage of the journey, so stage one being pre-money, stage two being making the offer and getting the money, stage three, building the relationship, is you have to have a communication process. 
There has to be a process of keeping investors up to date. And it could be anything. You know, so we've got examples of best practice and examples of bad practice uh, that we we have stopped over the years. Uh, good practice would be, you know, simple things. Everybody can do simple things. Simple things is some kind of a newsletter or a WhatsApp group. Um, or it could be simple things like um, doing a, you know, an update, a live a, a FaceTime update. Something that regularly gives a pulse point for the investors to feel connected to the project. And always, always, always tell the truth on what's happening. You know, so certainly COVID has flushed a few people out who, when things went a bit quiet, they went quiet. And you can't do that. Silence is not golden when it comes to investor relations. They don't want to hear nothing. They want to hear something. How's it going? It's been delayed. Okay, no problem with delays. That happens, right? That's life. I mean, no property project has ever gone according to time or according to exact budget and under any circumstances, always a delay of something, almost always anyway, slight delay or overrun. So it's just about telling the truth, about being communicative. And um, if you want them to invest, you know, we did have one investor just uh, was so uncommunicative when things went slightly wrong, nobody reinvested. They said, you know, I like the project, I like the return, just the guy was not cooperative when when things needed to be done and information needed to be shared. In a small firm, it could be one person owns all three. And it could be you, but somebody has to own it and you have to write the process for three stages. And I wouldn't get overwhelmed by that because it's not difficult, it's one, two, three. And, and we know how to do it and we can share with people how to. At the end of a how question is always who knows and somebody always knows. So if somebody's looking to transition from resi property into commercial property, Jerry Alexander knows how. If somebody's looking to transition from a terrible pension to a high-performing pension, Kevin Whelan knows how, you know, <laughs> and so on. So there's always a how. Go find the hows. And there'll be usually more than one how, or more who rather, and, and see who you resonate with. And, and just talk to people who know how to do it and see if you like their style, you like their communication, they like their values. And, and if you truly resonate, which is the most important word, I've used it three or four times in this interesting conversation, Jerry, when you resonate with people, things tend to work. When you get out of resonance, it means things will not work. And when you're out of resonance, they almost never work. So that's why I put big stake on resonance at the outset. And I'm pleased to be in resonance with you, Jerry. So I'm glad Appreciate to be that. invited into that. Appreciate that. And 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 this is um this is really good because people often think that um property is a transactional thing. There is contract and there's a transaction. And a lot of the things you're talking about where things possibly go wrong is because people forget about people and about all the small things that could make a project not work out so well or indeed make sure that another one doesn't happen. And they're nothing to do with contract. They're nothing to do with the transaction. They're everything to do with people yeah. and how you're dealing with people. So although we've got lots of things to learn in this industry about contracts and about lawyers and about leases and all that technical stuff, fundamentally, everything that's coming through here, and I totally agree with you, is down to your relationships with people. How you treat them, particularly for the long-term results, and how you interact with them and thinking about what it is they want. We were talking earlier on, Kevin, before we started recording, saying, right, what, what is it we're wanting to do here? We want to give the best value to the listener. That's the whole point of doing yeah. this podcast, is to try and get some great tips over there, getting some value over there. And I, and I think we've achieved that. I think it's been it's been a really fascinating conversation. Thank you. And, and I've written some notes I'm going to use myself in the future and we talked about the five ROI back at the start and then the three stories and how to how to craft that story and how to make it so that you're going to be more successful in building these relationships for the longer term so I've really enjoyed this thanks if anybody wants to know any more could you maybe just give us some places that people can find you online certainly wealthbuilders.co.uk um, or find me Kevin Whelan on LinkedIn or Facebook, drop me an email, hello at wealthbuilders.co.uk. And I'll you know just say they've mentioned Jerry Alexander. I'll know what we talked about, Jerry. 
and I'll send people free information, you know, with no, no, no axe to grind here. Because like, like you, I'm just trying to raise the tide for us all because I think there's, there's definitely a demand for people to move onwards and upwards on their journey from, from resi into commercial. And as they do so, they'll always need to raise more money. As we started the journey, as we end the journey now, they want more deals and they want more money. And I hope they got some value from our conversation today. That's absolutely right. Thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate it. I hope you as a listener, you've enjoyed this, this conversation. If you'd like to give us any feedback, please feel free to jump on the Facebook group. You can do that by going to the usual W's, facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. That's the page. Click on the group and you'll be able to join other investors. And you can put any questions you like in there. It's a safe environment. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Love to hear from you. Thanks for the feedback everybody's been giving us too. It's been great now that we're past 50 episodes. I can't believe we just got past 50 episodes. And the feedback's been fantastic. So thank you all very much for listening. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us. And we'll speak to you all again very soon. Mm -hmm.